do any of you, do any of you by any chance recognize the name Dylan Roof? Do you recognize the name Dylan Roof? On June the 17th of 2015, Dylan Roof did something atrocious. Dylan Roof did something absolutely horrible. He actually went into a church in South Carolina. He sat in on a Bible study with the people. He prayed with the people, and then he came back and killed nine of them. He murdered nine innocent people. He murdered nine innocent people who were husbands, and they were wives, and they were parents, and they were grandparents, and they were people's children. He killed nine innocent people who had families just like you and I have families. Dylan Roof murdered nine innocent people on June the 17th of 2015. And do you know why he did that? Do you know why he said he did that? Well, he did that because he's a racist. He's a racist. Someone says, Sean, how can you be sure he's a racist? Well, I can be sure he's a racist because the man says so himself. He says so in his manifesto, in his manifesto that you can Google and read today. Dylan Roof says a lot of racist things, not just about black people, but also about Asian people. And Jewish people and Hispanic people. And he also openly supports racist groups like the skinheads and the Ku Klux Klan. Dylan Roof is clearly a racist young man. But he's not the only person who falls into this category. I'm also reminded of Micah Xavier Johnson. Do you remember Micah Xavier Johnson? Do you remember how on July the 7th of 2016, Micah Xavier Johnson ambushed a group of police officers in Dallas, Texas, killing five of them and wounding nine. He killed five police officers on this particular day. And when asked why he committed such a crime, he says that the reason why he did this, why he committed these horrible and wicked crimes, was because he was upset about recent police shootings and he wanted to kill police officers. Particularly, he wanted to kill white police officers. He wanted to kill white police officers who were also husbands. And they were fathers. And they were brothers. And they had families who depended on them. Just like you and I have families who depend on us. You see, both Micah Xavier Johnson and Dylan Roof are men who are racist and they committed horrible racist acts. But unfortunately, unfortunately, my friends, neither one of them is alone in their thinking. Unfortunately, throughout the history of this country, there has been and there continues to be a lot of people who are racist. Take, for example, the brutal and the ugly period of legalization of human slavery that existed in this country in the 18th and 19th centuries. 
believe it or not, but just about 160 years ago, there were actually slaves in this country. There were actually people who were viewed as property and not even fully human because of the color of their skin. The era of slavery was a racist era in our country, and so was the era of Jim Crow. So was the era of segregation. So was the era where there was separation between the races when it came to public schools and public places and public transportations and even public drinking fountains. The era of Jim Crow is another racist era in our country, but let's fast forward the story now. And let's talk about this racial tension we're feeling today. Let's talk about how even though we have come a long way as a nation, even though we're no longer living during the times of slavery and, and Jim Crow, there still continues to be a lot of racial tension. I mean, haven't you noticed that? Haven't you felt that? Don't you even feel that right now? I mean, right now, don't you feel like that we as a nation are just as divided as ever when it comes to the issues of race and racism? Don't you feel that way when you witness all of the protests and the riots and the looting that's taking place around the country? Don't you feel that way whenever you hear someone shout Black Lives Matter? Or whenever you learn of a sports league like the NBA or the WNBA or the MLB cancel numerous games to protest what they believe to be racial issues. Or when you hear of the Cleveland Indians and my favorite football team, the Washington Redskins, both of these teams changed their names and their Logos to appeal the masses, and then what about this? What about Dr. Seuss? What about the various Dr. Seuss books that have been pulled over the last few weeks for displaying what some view as racially insensitive images? And what about all the debates that have been taking place over the last few years concerning the Confederate flag and its meaning and the Oscars and the need to remove some national monuments in our, in our country and even calls from various groups to defund police departments? Don't misunderstand this morning. Don't, don't misunderstand. I'm in no way. I'm in no way at all trying to get political on you here. As a preacher, that's not my job to get involved in politics. I'm not trying to get political on you this morning, but what I am just trying to show you from all of this is even though we are 160 years removed from slavery and we're far removed from Jim Crow, it appears, and we've come a long way as a nation, race and racism still appear to be a big deal in our society. Do you see that? Race and racism still appear to be a big deal in our culture. Both of these things continue to be emphasized greatly, and they divide a lot of people. They divide a lot of people in our country. In fact, it has even gotten to the point to where these kinds of issues are starting to divide brethren. They're starting to divide God's people. 
They're starting to divide Christians, disciples, even disciples are starting to become hostile towards one another. And they're saying some of the most ungodly and, and insensitive things on, to one another on social media because of views of, on race and racism. It seems as though as a nation, we are divided as ever on the issues of race and racism. And let me tell you something, our shepherds certainly understand this. Our shepherds here certainly get this. In fact, that's exactly why they've included this topic in their list of rising above topics for the year. You see, due to the fact that this is such a hot topic in our society today, our shepherds here, our leaders here, they want us to, to talk about this for a little bit. They want us to study this. They want us to study what the Bible says about racism and how we as disciples can rise above its ugliness in our culture today. And so go in your Bible to John chapter 4 this morning. Please go in your Bible to John chapter 4. As you turn in your Bible to John chapter 4, let me just say this. Let me say that in addition, in addition to the topic of racism, being a big topic in our society today, we need to also understand that this is nothing new. We need to understand that this was also a big topic in the time of Jesus. This was also a very controversial issue 2,000 years ago in the time of Jesus, in the time of, uh, of, the Jewish, of the Jewish people. And so before we go any further, how about we do this? How about we just carefully define our terms? Let's carefully define our terms this morning. You know, it is no big secret that this word racism is often thrown around loosely in our society today. But here's my question. What in the world is it? What in the world is racism? What does it mean for a person to be racist? Well, one source I found, one source I found to find racism as when one views their race as being superior and has a right to dominate others or that a particular racial group is inferior to others. Another source I found defined racism as the intolerance or hatred of other races. I think both of those, I think both of those will help us this morning. I think both of those definitions are good working definitions. In fact, we need to understand, brothers and sisters, that that kind of stuff is exactly what was going on among the Jews and the Samaritans in the time of Jesus. Many of you know that in the time of Jesus, in the time of our Lord, many of the Jewish people had a racist mindset. Many of the Jewish people were prejudiced. They actually looked down on people from the other nations because they were not Jewish. Are you in John chapter 4? Because John lets us know about this in his gospel. In John chapter 4 and verse number 9, here we see that a Samaritan woman is shocked. She's stunned when Jesus, a Jewish man, stops to talk to her at a well in Samaria. The Bible says in John 4 and verse number 9, I'm reading from the New American Standard Translation. It says, therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, you being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman for the Jews 
have or had no dealings, notice, they had no dealings with the Samaritans. The Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Questions, why didn't the Jews have any dealings with the Samaritans? Well, the answer is very simple. The answer is, it's because of race. It's because of racism. It's because the Samaritans were half Jewish and they were half something else. It was because the Samaritans were a mixed race of people. You see, because the Samaritans were a mixed race of people, because they were half Jewish and half Gentile, the full-blooded Jews didn't want anything to do with them. They didn't want to be around them. They didn't want to talk to them. They didn't want to worship with them. They didn't want to travel through their land. They didn't even want to touch the same objects that these people touched. Jews in the time of Jesus, many of them had a very, had a very racist mindset, and they were not the only ones during this time. You know who else had a racist mindset during the time of the first century? The Greeks did also. The Greeks also viewed themselves as superior to other races, understanding that it's extremely important to really getting the most out of what the Apostle Paul teaches them in Acts chapter 17. Will you go in your Bible to Acts 17, please? Look at Acts 17. In Acts the 17th chapter, the Apostle Paul preaches at the Areopagus in the city of Athens. And remember, Paul is a Jew. He is a Hebrew of Hebrews. He knows all about Jewish racism in the first century. And yet when he becomes a Christian, when he becomes a child of God, notice what he says in Acts 17 and verse 24. In verse 24, he says, the God who made the world. And all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man, he made from one man, every what? Every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and, their bound, and the boundaries of their habitation. Notice what Paul is saying there. Notice what Paul told the Greeks on this occasion. Notice how he told them that when it came to themselves and every other nation of people on the face of the planet, they all came from the same source. They all came from the same creator. They all were created by the one true and living God. They're all descendants of the first man, Adam, at the end of the day. That's what Paul told the boastful Greeks. On this occasion, and I want to suggest that understanding that will only help us better understand what the real problem is when it comes to the ugly issue of racism. Let me ask you a question. Do you know what the real problem is when it comes to the ugly issue of racism? Do you know what's at the core of that issue? Do you know why that particular issue is an issue that will plague mankind until the Lord comes back? What is at the core of the ugly issue of racism? Well, like any other sin in a person's life, the core at the sin of racism is the heart. It's a corrupted heart. It's a sinful heart. It's a wicked heart. It is a heart that at some point in the past 
has been taught to look down on other people because of the color of their skin and a person as an individual made a choice, a conscious choice to adopt that thinking. They made a conscious choice to adopt that mentality. The reason why I say that is because, my dear friends, we need to understand people are not born racist. People are not born programmed to look down on other people because of the color of their skin. Just look at little babies. Little babies don't do that garbage. Infants, toddlers, two, three, four-year-olds, they don't do that nonsense. Racism is clearly a learned behavior. It is a learned behavior. A learned behavior. People who are racist were taught that wickedness over a period of time. And at the core of that problem is the, is the heart. It's a wicked heart. That's what Jesus taught. In Mark chapter 7, verses 20 and 20 through 23, Jesus says, that which comes out of the person, that which comes out of the person, that's what defiles the man. For from within, out of the hearts of people come evil thoughts, acts of sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, acts of adultery, deeds of greed, wickedness, deceit, indecent behavior, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and defile the person. What's the Lord teaching there in those verses? Well, hopefully we all know exactly what the Lord is teaching there in those verses. I hope we know that because we studied this last Sunday. Remember, we considered these verses in our sermon from last Sunday. Remember last Sunday we pointed out how in these verses, Jesus is talking about the source of sin. He's talking about what's at the core of sin. He is saying that at the core of sinful actions, particularly sinful actions against another person, is the heart. It comes out of the heart. Adultery comes out of the heart. Greed, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all that kind of stuff comes out of a person's heart. In fact, when it comes to the sin of pride that the Lord mentions there, isn't that what racism really all about? It's all about pride. It's all about superiority. It's all about a person feeling they are superior to a to a group of people because of their race. That's pride. Jesus condemns that in the word of God. Jesus says that pride is a sin that originates in a person's heart. And so do you know what that ultimately means? That ultimately means that you could take down all the monuments you want. And you can take down all the Confederate flags and you can take away the government and you can take away the media and you can take away Republicans and Democrats and independents and you can even take away everybody's guns and guess what? You're still gonna have to deal with racism. You're still going to have to deal with prejudice. You're still going to have to deal with racism because at the end of the day, racism is not a gun problem. Racism is not a monument problem. It's not a government problem. It's not a flag problem. Instead, racism is a heart problem. It's a sin problem. It's a problem where people fail to understand the core 
teaching of the gospel and what Jesus accomplished when he died at Calvary. Racism is a heart problem. And so what's the solution? What's the solution to racism? I mean, is the solution to racism politicians? We need more politicians. Is it having the right people running Washington, D.C.? Is it the media? Is it certain laws being passed? Is it riots? Is it looting? Is it ignoring the problem? Is it just acting like it'll go away on its own? Not even talking about it. Is that the solution to the problem? No, that's not the solution. That's not the solution according to this book. That's not the solution according to the Holy Scriptures. You see, according to the Holy Scriptures, there is a solution to the problem of racism and it's found in one person and one person alone. And you know who that is? That's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the solution to racism. Jesus Christ is the solution to racism because he's the creator. He's the creator of all things. He's creator, the creator of all people. He's the creator of all races. He's the creator of white people. He's the creator of black people and Hispanic people and Asian people and Indian people. And if you got some blue, purple, and pink people out there, guess what? He created them too. He created all people. And he created all people in a very specific way. When we go back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, we see that in the beginning, Jesus created people in his image. He created them in the image of God. He created them special and unique and with qualities that make them superior compared to everything else God has made. That's what we learn when we go all the way back to, be, to the beginning. And I want to suggest that that is an important point to highlight because it means that when people look down or hate on other people because of the color of their skin, you know what they really got a problem with? They really don't have a problem with that person. They really don't have a problem with that race of people. Instead, they really got a problem with Jesus. They really got a problem with him as the creator because me, you, and every person on the face of the planet is a product of his handiwork. We're all a product of his creative ability. Jesus created all people and the image of God. And you know what else the Bible says about Jesus? It says he loves all people. He loves all races of people. We know that with 100% certainty because he died for all people. He died not just for one race, but he died for the entire human race. In 1 Timothy 2, in verse number 6, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all. That's all people, all physical races of people. In John 3, verse number 16, the most well-known verse in the Bible, what does it say? For God so loved the world. The last time I checked, the world includes everybody. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, no matter what race you come from, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You see, unlike some people on the face of the planet, our Lord Jesus loves everybody. He loves all people. He died for all people through his death. All people, everybody part of the human race can have their sins forgiven by God. 
In fact, not only can all people from all races have their sins forgiven by God because of Jesus, but also through Jesus or because of Jesus, all people can be brought into one spiritual body. That's what Paul teaches in Galatians chapter three. I'm going to Galatians three. Listen to what Paul says here. Paul spoke a lot about this issue that we're talking about this morning throughout his epistles. Maybe you've noticed that before. I hope you have. He talks about it here. This was a big deal, trying to help the Jews get rid of their racist mindset that they had. And in Galatians 3, as Paul writes to Gentiles here, Gentiles who were being taught by false Jewish teachers that they needed to be circumcised and keep the gospel in order to be saved. And Paul tells them in Galatians 3, verse 25, but now that faith has come, now that the system of being justified by faith in Christ has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Tutor. We're not under that Old Testament law of Moses. That's the tutor. That's the schoolmaster. And in verse 26, he says, For you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you, remember, he's talking to Gentiles here. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Notice how Paul here is talking about equality. He's talking about equality and the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, there is no such thing as racism. There is no such thing as looking down on others because of the color of their skin. Not in Christ. We're all one. We have equality in Christ. That's what Paul says there. Now go to Ephesians chapter 2. Here's the key text in Ephesians 2. Because to add on to Galatians 3 in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us that because of the redemptive work of Jesus, any racial barriers that may have been present up to that time were completely torn down. They were eliminated by the blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, look at verse 13. Paul here is talking to Gentiles, people like us, people who are not Jewish. He's talking to those people here. This is what he tells us in Ephesians 2 and verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly were far off, that's the Gentiles, that's us, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, Christ is our peace, who made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one. And he broke down, he broke down, he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments containing ordinances, that's the law of Moses, so that in himself he might make the two into one man, Jew and Gentile, one man, thus establishing peace, peace between the races. Peace between the races, that's what Paul's talking about there. And he might reconcile them, Jew and Gentile, both into one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity, and he came and preached peace to you who were far away. That's Gentiles again. And peace to those who were near. That's the Jews. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Now in order to really appreciate, in order to really appreciate what Paul is saying there, we need to point out how unfortunately for hundreds and hundreds of years prior to the cross, the Jews and the Gentiles were separated. They were separated by race. 
They were divided from one another. They were segregated from one another. They didn't want anything to do with each other. That's the way it was for hundreds and hundreds of years. But here in Ephesians 2, what does Paul say? Paul says that Jesus died to break up all that nonsense. Jesus died to end this separation. Jesus died so that the Jews and the Gentiles could be one in the body of Christ. Another way we could say that is through Jesus' death. The gap between the races was bridged. Jesus' death bridged the gap between the races. Jesus' death brought all people together. Jesus' death makes it possible that all people, no matter what the color of your skin may be, you can be one with other believers in Jesus. According to Paul, through Jesus' death, the dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles is completely torn down. There is no superiority of the races. There is no separation. There is no segregation. There is no I'm better than you because I'm black or Hispanic or Asian or white. No, sir, no, ma'am. In Jesus Christ, no matter what the color of our skin may be, we're children of God. We're one. We have unity. We're equal. We're all just a bunch of redeemed sinners who are blessed to have a relationship with God, not because of anything we've done, not because we're so good, but because Jesus is so good. Because of his love and his grace and his mercy, he is the answer. He is the solution to the problem of racism. He was solution to this sin 2,000 years ago, and he continues to be the solution today. Let me tell you something. If people just loved like Jesus, there would be no such thing as racism. If people just loved like Jesus, there would be no Dylan Roos. There would be no Xavier Johnsons. There would be no people who are looking down on other people because they're Asian or because they are black or white or Indian or Hispanic, if people just love like Jesus, they wouldn't have any room in their hearts for racism. They wouldn't have any room in their hearts for prejudice. Instead, if people love like Jesus, they would look at other people and they would value every person. They would value every soul. They would view every person as someone who was created in the image of God and they're loved by God. And Jesus died for them and he was raised for them. And ultimately, he's going to come back one day and he's going to judge them. Jesus is the answer to racism. The question, though, is this. How should we respond? How should we as Christians Rise above this. How should we respond and rise above all this racial tension that exists in our society today? Well, let me give you a few things to think about, okay? And then we're going to be done. Let me say that we need to rise above all of this racial tension in our society today by first doing some self-examination. We need to make sure we're never part of the problem. Me, Sean Jeffries. I'm talking to Sean first. I'm talking to me. Sean Jeffries needs to make sure he's not part of the problem. 
I don't care what the color of my skin may be. I need to always have some humility. I need to have enough humility to always look at myself in the mirror and ask myself an important question. And that is, am I racist? Am I racist? Now, after asking myself that question in the mirror, if I realize the honest answer to it is yes, you know what I need to do? I need to change. I need to reform my life. I need to reform my heart. I need to start loving like Jesus. I need to make sure I'm not trying to rebuild walls that he died to tear down. And Acts, the 10th chapter, in verses 34 and 35, once the apostle Peter got to the household of Cornelius, a Gentile household, and Peter witnessed these people be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Peter, and keep in mind, did not Peter struggle with racism in his life? Remember Galatians 2? Oh, he struggled with it. Go back, go back and read that. He struggled with it. But Peter says this in Acts 10. He says, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, even though he showed partiality in Galatians 2. But he says, God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. My dear friends, this is the gospel truth. This is gospel. This is getting at the heart at the gospel. This is something that we got to buy into 100%. We got to understand that when it comes to God, the one true and living God is not a God of partiality. He is not a God who shows respect of persons. He is not a God who shows respect of persons on the basis of race. Instead, he is a God who welcomes all people unto him. If people are willing to fear him and love him and submit to him, it doesn't matter what nation they come from. They're welcome to him, Peter says. That's the gospel. That's the gospel truth. And we got to always remember that. Remembering that will help us. It'll help me make sure I'm never part of this problem. But not only must we never be part of the problem. A second thing we got to do is we got to be part of the solution. We got to be against something. We also got to be for something. We got to bridge the gap. Because there's a big gap. And so what's the verse that can help us bridge the gap together? What about Matthew 5 and verse 9, where Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, the peacemakers, for they should be called the sons of God. I need to be a peacemaker. That's how I bridge the gap. I bridge the gap by being a peacemaker. I bridge the gap by being the kind of person who's always trying to bring people together, not tear them apart. I bridge the gap by being a person of unity and not division. I bridge the gap by trying to always be, at, be one with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Because according to what we read in our scripture reading from John 17, Jesus says, when I do that, I can help motivate people to believe that the Father sent him. I need to be against racism, but I also need to be for bringing people together. I need to be for bridging the gap. And I do that by being a peacemaker. In fact, another way I can help bridge the gap is by avoiding judging too quickly. You know, it's no big secret that this, when it comes to this idea of racism, for so many people, they're quick to throw that word out today, aren't they? Have you noticed that? So many people are so quick to throw out the word racism. Racist. They're quick to call people racist. They're quick to judge situations as racist. They're quick to label people as racist. I got to tell you that when people do that so quickly, that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate because once that word race, 
racist or racism is thrown out, you know what happens? It sticks. It affects people's hearts. It affects people's minds in a very powerful way. And so what about this verse? What about Paul helping us with this? In 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 7, Brother Brian made a reference to 1 Corinthians 13 this morning. I want to do the same. It's a great chapter where Paul says, love, real love, it bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Notice how I hear Paul is talking about Christian love. He's talking about real love. Not the little made-up stuff you hear in our society today. No, this real love, this agape love, this genuine love. According to the Apostle Paul, real, genuine, Christian love assumes the best. That's what it means when it says it believes all things. It assumes the best. It assumes the best in the words of others. It assumes the best in the actions of others. It assumes the best, especially in brothers and sisters in Christ. It is not quick to judge people as a racist just because of the color of their skin or just because they may be related to some people who may have committed racist acts in the past. No, sir, and no, ma'am. Real Christian love assumes the best in someone until proven otherwise. Real Christians are careful with their words. Haven't we been learning that in Proverbs? Through our Proverbs, have we not been seen that there are so many admonitions given to us by the Holy Spirit to be careful about the things we speak and the things that we tweet and the things that we post on Facebook? I wish many more Christians would read Proverbs and follow the Proverbs before they tweet or put something on Facebook in regards to this issue. In fact, whenever we see or hear someone, especially someone in the church, a brother or a sister, Say something that makes us a little uncomfortable. Maybe we even view that as a racist statement. Instead of being quick to jump down their throat and to call that person a racist, you know what we need to do? We need to do what Jesus said in Matthew 18 and verse 15. We need to go to that person in private and we need to get an understanding. Maybe it was a misunderstanding. What's wrong with talking? What's wrong with talking with each other face to face? Look each other in the eye. Try to get an understanding. Be diligent in that moment to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. What's wrong with doing that? Isn't that what the Bible says? We need to avoid judging too quickly. Be cautious with our words. And we need to love everybody. We need to love our neighbor as ourselves. Like Jesus said in Matthew 22 and verse 39. We need to treat other people like we want to be treated. Matthew 7 and verse 12, we need to show compassion and mercy towards anybody, all people, regardless of their skin color. I mean, isn't that the whole point of the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10? That's the whole point. That's the whole point of that parable. The whole point of that parable was to teach us that regardless of skin color, regardless if someone is a Jew or a Samaritan, a Jew or a Gentile, we need to always be willing to treat them like a neighbor. We need to always be willing to show them love and compassion. We need to be, always be willing to spend time with all people and show concern for all people and serve all people and especially teach the gospel to all people. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 28 and verse 19. Did he not say go into, go into all the world and make disciples of what? The nations. 
The gospel is for the nations. The gospel is for all people. We need to love everybody. And you know what else we need to do? We need to pray. We need to pray long and hard. We need to go home today and pray long and hard for our nation. We need to pray that God will help us heal this nation. We need to pray that God will use us as his people to show the people in the world what true love and unity is all about so that they can desire to share in that with us. We need to pray for people who are truly racist. We need to pray for people who commit horrendous acts of racism. Remember Luke 23, 34. Brother Brian brought this verse up this morning. When Jesus is on the cross, he's being mocked by his enemies. They're, they're hurling abuses at him. They hate him. They want him to suffer. And what does Jesus say to his father? He says, Father, forgive them for they what? They know not what they do. Jesus prayed for wicked people while on the cross. And if our Lord could do that, then guess what? We certainly should be doing that. We certainly should be praying for people who have hearts that are full of hatred and pride. We certainly should be forgiving people who may commit racist acts against us. We certainly should always remember that when it comes to people who commit true racist acts, one day they're going to have to answer to God for that. They don't have to answer to us. They got to answer to God. We need to pray. And we need to remember heaven. We need to remember what heaven is all about. We need to remember that in heaven, there's not going to be any racism. There's not going to be any prejudice. There's not going to be any segregation. There's not going to be any, this is a white section of heaven and a black section and a Hispanic section and an Asian section. It's not going to be any of that nonsense in, in heaven. It's not going to be any racism in the paradise of God. Instead, it's only going to be love. It's only going to be love. It's only going to be peace. It's only going to be unity. It's only going to be people with eternal spiritual bodies who love God and they're worshiping God and they're serving God and they're together forever as a family. And heaven, all of this nonsense regarding race and racism, it's going to be totally absent. Skin color is not going to matter. Paul says flesh and blood can't enter into the kingdom of God. You're not going to find this stuff in heaven. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that. I'm excited about that. I want to be part of that, and I want you to be part of that, and we will be part of that if we always love like Jesus. Now, before I go into the invitation, let me just say this. I want to say something to the visitors here. We got visitors here, and I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. If you're visiting with this church this morning, I want you to know that you are among some of the most loving and caring people on the face of the planet. These are some great people. My family and I have been here nearly two years with this church, and we have never one time, one time, experienced any racism from anybody in this church. This is a great church. 
This is a church made up of loving Christian people. People who love God, people who love people, people who care about people, people who share with people. These are some of the best people on the face of the planet. And I just want to thank this church for being the kind of people you are. I want to thank you for your dedication to unity. I want to thank you for your dedication to love. I want to thank you for what you stand for in Jesus Christ. I want you to know that we are looking forward, Lord willing, to doing the work of God in this place with you for many years to come. And we want to show the world together the love of Jesus and how truly foolish and sinful racism is. It's a blessing to be part of the spiritual family. The question is, are you part of the spiritual family this morning? If not, then you've got a chance to be part of the greatest family on the face of the planet, God's family. If there's someone here this morning who needs to be adopted into the family of God, it'll just take a few minutes. If you confess your faith in Christ, and if you're baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, the Lord will add you to his church. The Lord will bring you into his family. You'll have brothers and sisters in Christ, and you'll be part of something that is trying to change the world for good. And so if there's anyone here this morning who needs to respond to the glorious gospel, don't hesitate. Come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing.